Good morning. So I want to know, are you all packed and ready to go? <laughs> so my family left yesterday for the beach, uh, my wife and kids and mother-in-law, and you would think that that meant that I had the whole entire day to prepare and right? to pack and to be ready so that when we're done with worship, I just get in the car. You, you would think that. You would and if my wife is watching, I am, I'm ready. I'm on my way uh, after we finish worshiping this morning. Um, so I'm, I'm working on it. All right. The suitcase is out and the laundry's done. So, I mean, dude, pretty much on. there. It's the beach. I don't, it is. I don't well, need it's, much. It'll be there when you get there. So I did want to share with you, and so glad that you're getting some time away with your family. I wanted to share with you what our... Um, sort of vacation practices with our staff as some of our staff begin to take some much needed vacation because we have been working so hard. But we've decided as a staff, as a team, because we really are caring for one another and our health, that if any of our folks are heading off the mountain, if they're going to be out of state, if they are going to be vacationing with extended family and not just their nucleus, that when they return, uh, we are doing a self-imposed two-week quarantine just to make sure that no symptoms pop up in case anyone was exposed so we can keep our uh, staff team safe. And so that's why there, you'll not see some folks in front of the camera for a while. Vern just got back from vacation with his family, and so um, he'll be on the, the, the backside of the camera for a couple of weeks. You will as well. And so we wanted you to understand why you're getting ready to see some different combinations of staff as we make the decisions and do the things we need to take care of ourselves and one another. So as you said, the question for today is, is the Holy Spirit always with us? And I think it's a really important conversation to have because sometimes when we start to think about maybe the flip side of this question, it can stress us out. Like we can start to freak out if we're asking, well, is there ever a time or a reason when the Holy Spirit might not be with us? Now, I also realize that there might be some folks going, uh, wait, no, I'm freaking out if you're telling me that the Holy Spirit's kind of lurking over me all of the time. And it's, it's not either of those things. And so we have three scripture passages this morning to help us sort this out. And we'll start with the primary text, which is from Psalm 51. And I invite you to hear these words uh, from Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. I love this. Before he starts to tell anything about what he's done, the psalmist is like, God, remember who you are. You're good. You're loving. You're forgiving. And then he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then these are the really important verses here. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. This is God's word for all God's people. Thanks be to God. So historically, this psalm is associated with David after he has had an affair with Bathsheba and had Bathsheba's husband killed. But it honestly could be applied to any sinful situation. We could apply it to when the Israelites built the golden calf when they were in the wilderness. We could apply it to any of uh, our, our sins that, that we've committed ourselves. This, this, sin, this psalm powerfully applies to any uh, sinful situation. But the psalmist here, David, is wrestling with this existential question. Has my sin truly separated me from God? So Jeff, I wonder if you could share with us, like when, when people are talking with you and asking you about what is sin, like how do you answer that question? How do you talk to people about what sin is? I think it's, you already, you already kind of said it, it's anything that separates us from God. And so anything that, that creates a, a barrier between, in our relationship between us and, and God and prevents us from having a, a, a flourishing, um, active, um, two-way relationship with God. So it could be something that happens externally as a result of, uh, of disease or sickness in the world. Um, that's, that's one aspect of sin in our world. But as you're talking about uh, being separated from the Holy Spirit, I think that's the part where we're talking about sin is usually, um, I, when I talk with people about it, it's, it's anything that gets in the way of that relationship. And so it could be some kind of behavior on our part. Um, it, could be, um, it could be just a, a lack of a, a, a awareness of God's presence. Um, it's anything that prevents us from having a flourishing, healthy, communicative relationship uh, with, with God. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for that. I tend to use some of those same phrases and, and talk about that sense of, of anything that also maybe brings distance between us and what is God's will yeah. and desire for us. But the important thing is, is when, when the sins happen and that separation begins to take place, it's us pulling away from God. It is not God pulling away from us. And so I think what's going on here in Psalm 51 is David realizes he has really screwed up. Like he has really, really sinned badly and that God is upset with him. Um, he's already begun to pay some of those consequences from these terrible choices that he has made. And in these last few verses, David is worrying about God um, taking the Holy Spirit away from him. And so uh, I, I think it's important for us or worth it for us to go back and really highlight what he pleased to God because I think um, it, it's, it's significant. He first of all, in verses 11 and 12, he says, don't cast me away from your presence, God. D don't, don't throw me out. Don't push me away. And then he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He knows the Holy Spirit has blessed him in some mighty ways that have allowed him to be a, a a faithful, powerful leader for God's kingdom and for, for, for God. And so he's begging for the Holy Spirit not to be taken away from him. Then he says, please sustain in me a willing spirit. And I think what, what he means here is he recognizes that if his heart hardens, 
then he's not able to welcome or notice the Holy Spirit, to be open to the Holy Spirit around him. So he's praying for a willing spirit to continue to be, to be present within him. And then that last thing, restore the joy of your salvation. He recognizes that that joy that comes when we are fully in, you know, uh, in sync with God, it only comes from God. And he does not want to lose that opportunity to experience that joy. So I wonder if you could play armchair um, um, uh, shepherd, yeah, or counselor, <laughs> and tell us what do you think is going through David's mind as he's pleading these things to God? I think it's, I mean, all of us, Scripture says we've all sinned and fallen short of, of the glory of God, right? We all know what it's like to do something and instantly regret it and go, oh, wait a second. And to realize I have made a mistake here and that should not have happened. And so I, I feel like that's probably part of what, what David is going through, right? Um, just realizing the enormity because uh, it wasn't for him. I mean, it was, there were a lot of things that, that he did wrong. Um, and, and so just kind of the gravity of that probably just setting in for him uh, has to weigh heavily on his heart. Because after all, this is a man after God's own heart, right? That's what scripture says about David. And, and remember just a little bit of context. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the ways that the Holy Spirit works in scripture. Uh, we see in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people in power and for a, for a purpose, for leadership and for direction and for, uh, for wisdom. And so David understood the Holy Spirit that way, right? To have, to have come upon him. And if you read in Samuel when he's anointed as king, it says that the God's Spirit comes upon David uh, for his leadership. And so David knew that that had happened. And so, of course, right, his, his reaction is like, okay, I messed up. Right. <laughs> don't, don't take that away. Don't, don't leave me. Don't go. And, and there's something fundamental about relationship there too, right? We talked about sin being something that separates us in our relationship from God. None of us likes to be alone, uh, we're built to be in relationship, to be interdependent upon one another and, and, and to grow in our relationship with God and one another. And so I think there's a part of David that's probably recognizing that too. Like, don't, right. don't leave me alone. Don't separate me. In fact, some theologians, some, some theologians talk about the idea of hell as being in a place yeah. that is entirely separate from God's presence. Right. That's what hell could look like. And, that, mm-hmm. and so I, just, I think that's a, that could have been one of the things that's running through David's mind. Just don't, don't leave me alone. I'm... I still want to be a man after your own heart. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Don't go away. Right. Thank you. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's important for us to, to be mindful of. And, and we, we really do connect with that. We resonate with some of these things that he is articulating. I think that's why this psalm is so powerful because we felt some of those very same things ourselves and have longed for some of those very same things in our lives. The cool thing about Psalm 51 is, is I, while it, it captures our human condition quite beautifully, it also tells us a whole lot about God. And, um, and what I think one of the important things to recognize is that, uh, and, and important to this conversation this morning, is that no matter what happens, so, 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 so David has done these terrible things. The Israelites did something like time and time again where they turned away from God, where sin was just so prevalent. We can think about the disciples and their own struggle to follow Jesus faithfully and to understand they, many of them screwed up repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we think about even our own lives every time 
God has been a God of grace. And God continues to respond in a grace-filled way. And so, in spite of the fact that David broke at least half of the Ten Commandments with these really seriously bad choices that he made, God did not take God's blessing from him. God allowed him to remain, to continue to be king, and to go on and to, to continue to do some powerful and important things for the, the, the nation of Israel. Um, that. I think part of the reason that that happens and that God continues to bless, particularly in this case, is because David was penitent. Yeah. Like, he, he did recognize that he had screwed up and he was seeking forgiveness. And more importantly, he kept his word that he, he said he would never do this again and he never, he never repeated those bad choices in his life again. And so ultimately the psalmist is pointing out to us that guilt and sin do not have the final word here. They don't. They always give way or can give way to forgiveness and joy. And so I wonder if you might um, have an example to help us think through how sin and forgiveness is not the, I mean, sin and guilt are not the ultimate in our relationship with God. Right. So I think one of the ways that we realize that is through the, the practice of exactly what David is doing here, confession. Um, that is one of the ways that we can tell the truth about who we are and tell the truth about who God is and receive the joy of our salvation again. Uh, I'm, so I was watching recently this documentary about Lance Armstrong. Uh, it's a, the ESPN 30 for 30. Um, those are amazing, by the way, if you're missing sports, like just go back and watch some of those because those are, they're so, they're such great human stories, even if you're not a sports fan, like they're just really interesting. Anyway, they were interviewing one of the people on Lance Armstrong's team and Lance Armstrong was a seven-time Tour de France champion and, but discovered later that he was using performance enhancing substances. And in fact, like everybody was apparently back in, back in that day. And so when it came time that everything was kind of breaking, the news was coming out, one of the, one of the people on his team had to go and, and testify. Um, and say exactly what was going on. And he talked about what it felt like to be in that moment and to, to sit there in that deposition and to finally, after all of this time of living in this darkness and keeping this secret and having this burden of making sure nobody knows, uh, he talked about the release that came from just saying, here's what I did. And it was wrong uh, and I did it and... There you go. And, and this wasn't, Lance didn't quite frame his that way no. <laughs> at all, actually. Um, but, uh, but this teammate did, and it just reminded me of the power of confession. And this wasn't even, I mean, he actually spoke about it like it was, he, I think he used the word holy. It was like a holy experience, like a reverent experience. And I know that I have um, experienced that joy and that, that release upon being conferred uh, forgiveness from while when we do it together, when we confess together corporately as a church, um, usually in the, in the traditional services, an area we do that every week, um, but also with a group of friends of mine that I went to seminary with. We, there's a group of guys that we gather regularly. In fact, so here I'm going to confess, the real reason I'm not packed is because yesterday I had the whole day to myself. <laughs> like that never, ever happens. Right? I have three young kids and, and a wife, all of whom I love dearly and love to be with. Um, but yesterday I had the whole day to do whatever I wanted. And randomly, one of my friends from this group of seminary guys uh, just sent a text to all of us and said, hey, you guys want to hang out for a little bit? You want to Zoom? And again, miraculously, like everyone was available. Wow, there were nice. six of us. And so we Zoomed and we talked for like three hours in the middle of a Saturday nice. afternoon 
Um, that never that never happens. <laughs> so it was such a gift, and that's why I'm not packed. Uh, but the good. point is, I have this group of people yeah. that I do life with, and I know you do too yeah. as well, Lori mm-hmm. Beth, um, that you can talk to, that you can confess what's going on in your life and the ways that you, the ways that I am falling short of God's design and plans for, for me and for my life and my ministry as a, as a father and a husband and, and a pastor and a, a follower of Jesus. I have these people that I can come to and say, man, here's where I'm falling short. Um, can you guys, can you pray for me? Can you encourage me? Can you remind me of God's goodness and God's mm-hmm. grace and God's forgiveness? Um, and that is so critical. And I highly encourage you, whether it's your, your small group or uh, some accountability partner, somebody you know and, and have walked with mm-hmm. uh, in your faith journey, that is such a critical part of experiencing the joy of God's salvation, particularly after you have felt the, the, the darkness of your own sin. Right. Yeah, uh, like thank David you. Has. That's such an important point. And um, totally, totally hope that everybody has that outlet, that support system, that group of folk or person to be able to, to share with. Um, and, and if you don't, come and talk to us. Yeah. Come and talk to the pastors. We can talk with you. We can work through that. We can uh, find you a group of people right. to do life with um, in, in community. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So here's what um, we, we think are the two most important points as we look at the psalm and what it tells us about this question of is the Holy Spirit with us or not. First one, so important, is that the Holy Spirit is not dependent on our good behavior to be present in our lives. In other words, we can sin, we will sin, and break relationship with God, but the Holy Spirit does not depart from us. The Holy Spirit is part of what helps bring healing and wholeness, so it may be that that's the very moment when we need the Holy Spirit the most. And so when we've messed up, that does not mean that um, God's going to snatch the Holy Spirit away from us. And to me, that is incredibly comforting. Um, while there are consequences to our sin, absolutely, it does not mean that one of those consequences is that God is going to then walk away from us and just leave us to our own devices. So when I was thinking about, well, when have I experienced this, uh, interestingly enough, uh, one of my really good friends from my childhood, we were best friends growing up, um, we were talking yesterday, and we were laughing and remembering about things in the past, and uh, we remembered one of my darker moments. Um, as a kid where I just did something terrible. Um, I was getting in trouble with my mom and I tried to get myself out of it by lying to her. Like <laughs> bald face, and I am a terrible liar, first of all. And, and it just was, she wasn't buying any of it. Like she could see right through it. Well, ultimately, um, what, what the word, I mean, it, what I did was not the problem. It was the lying to her that sure. just undid her and truly was the most trouble I've ever gotten into in my entire life. I think I was grounded for like a month, but I'd broken trust with her, with my mom. And it was terrible, it really was. And so as I was spending a lot of quality time by myself and with family because I wasn't going anywhere, I did realize that the Holy Spirit was um, there kind of working to try and mend that relationship back with my mom and to help me learn from my mistakes 
uh, to help me to, to learn you know, what, it, what I had done, what it had contributed to, and what those consequences were, and how it could be avoided in the future. And so I was grateful for how that Holy Spirit was, was working right in that exact time when I needed the presence of the Holy Spirit the most. And to be able to uh, learn from that lesson that part of that punishment was not for God to even pull further away from me in spite of my own stupidity in the moment. So I really do believe that the Holy Spirit does not come and go in our lives depending on if we are good and if we are obedient because that was a promise that Jesus made is that the Holy Spirit would be present with us um, forever. So that's one point. Jeff, I wonder if you would share another really important point we want folks to take away. Yeah, so part of the work of the Holy Spirit is, is restoration and recreation. And as we've talked about throughout this series, that's, that's something we've noted. It starts in the very beginning of, of Scripture. In fact, the word uh, here that in, in David's psalm that's used for spirit is the same word that's used in the beginning. In the beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over the water. The, the ruach, the, the breath, the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And, and from that, God works to create um, and to make everything that, that is. And so there's this, this idea that there's, there's chaos and there's darkness, uh, and yet the Spirit is there and working and active to, to create and to recreate and to make good things and very good things in and, and, and life. And so it's the same idea with us as, as human beings. God, David prays it, right? Create in me a new heart, O God. Uh, and, and restore a, a right spirit within me. And so that is the work of, of the Holy Spirit, is this, this restoration, this recreation. Um, and, and, and we see this, right? In, even in Jesus' parables, you look, at, um, you look at the prodigal son, for example, right? Here's somebody who has, has squandered his inheritance, who has lived in a way that I think could very <laughs> sinfully, right? Um, separated himself from his family. And yet the, the parable is about the welcoming father who, when the son comes back, says, oh, you're my son, all that I have. I'm so glad to see you and, and throws a party and, and receives him with grace, right? It doesn't dwell on, on the sin and the thing that kept him separated. It's just, it's just glad and runs toward him and embraces him. Um, the parable of the lost sheep, right? The same thing. Like you've got the 99, but there's one that's missing. And so God goes out and, and Jesus goes out and seeks for that one who is missing. And that's the way that God works in the world, right? God is constantly, we talked about being separated from God. That's not God's problem, right? That's yeah. our problem. Yeah. God is continually going out and seeking and looking after those who are, who are lost and who are in dark places and who are sinning and who are disconnected from God to, to bring them back into the fold, to bring them back into right relationship with God. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm, I love it. I love it, that recreation. So... So here's another way to kind of summarize these, these points. Um, this Psalm 51, I think, tells us two things. It tells us um, some embarrassing news, and it tells us some good news. So the embarrassing news that this Psalm points out is that, frankly, our lives can be very embarrassing. That 
we, we can sin and mess up and really um, have embarrassing moments and chapters in our life. And I saw this great quote this week from A. Whitney Brown that says, essentially history, all history really is, is a series or a list of mistakes that have names and dates attached to them. <laughs> so when we think about the Bible, there is so much biblical history there that reflects a collection of embarrassing stories. Uh, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, uh, the uh, golden calf, the whole exodus, the Israelites had many embarrassing stories. You've got the um, shenanigans of King Saul. You have the shenanigans of King David. Go to the New Testament. You have the disciples uh, many times, but even think about the end of Jesus' life when they just completely fell apart. Think about um, the early church, and they're, they're just wrestling with accepting the Gentiles, the church in Corinth. There are so many examples of embarrassing stories, and even our own history. Our own history, our own stories have embarrassing stories as individuals, as families we've got embarrassing stories, as churches, as countries. We all have these embarrassing stories. So why in the world wouldn't the Holy Spirit flee from us? because our sins can be so embarrassing. But here's the good news. Here's the good news that the psalm points out. God's nature is to forgive us. God's goal is to recreate people. God's desire is for the Holy Spirit to work within us in new and powerful ways. And so the Holy Spirit is always ready and willing to go into action to help reform us, to guide us, to recreate us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, so if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Through the grace of the Holy Spirit, the disciples became the apostles that spread the good news around the world. Saul became the apostle Paul, who we know the impact he had on the early church. Uh, even the Old Testament, the Exodus Israelites eventually became the nation of Israel. And so this Old Testament truth gets repeated and refined and even, I think, empowered in Scripture in the New Testament, uh, reinforcing that the Holy Spirit uh, does not leave us. And there's many, many examples that we could choose for that. But I wondered if you would share with us one example from John that makes this point. Yeah, so this one is where the disciples are gathered uh, together and, and Jesus comes to them and he says this in John 14, 16. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. And so this is, again, one of those differences between how David experienced God's Holy Spirit and how we after Pentecost, have experienced God's Holy Spirit, right? Jesus says, I will give you an advocate, a comforter, a paraclete, uh, someone to be present with you forever. And it's almost the way that God incarnates today, right? Jesus, God, Jesus was God incarnate when he came and walked the earth and, and lived and, and served and loved and died and re was resurrected. Um, but then he went to be with God, but he left us, right? He left us the Holy Spirit to be with us forever, uh, the Spirit of God inside us, with us always, uh, doing that work that we've been talking about, restoring, recreating, um, being present, making us aware of God's work and presence in the world, of God's grace and God's forgiveness for us. And part of the truth of that is we need it, right? <laughs> yeah. It is an ongoing yeah. work. Like we are a, a, 
um, work in progress. Yeah. And so it just, it never ends. And that's why another reason Jesus realized, yeah, y'all are going to need the Holy Spirit <laughs> ongoing. Another scripture passage that helps make this point comes from Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It says, in him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Jesus, in him, were marked for the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Oh man, what good news for us. The scripture reminds us that as Jesus followers, when we, when we give our hearts to Jesus, when we um, believe in, in the, the power and the truth of Jesus Christ, that we are marked with this seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so I think of it as a, like a watermark. So on a fancy piece of stationery or paper, a watermark is in the background. You can barely see it, but it's there. And you can type over it, do whatever over it. That, that watermark is, is the same thing for us when um, the Holy Spirit lays claim to us. That mark, that seal is placed on us and it's there forever. Uh, later, when baptism became part of that initiation of new believers to become Christians, we, in our liturgy, we use part of that language and talk about that seal of the promise from the Holy Spirit. And so it's just another comforting reminder of... I, I love that image too, yeah. right? Because a watermark is like something that authenticates, right? It tells right. you this is the truth. This is what this is, right? right? And it's the same with baptism. Like you are yeah. sealed. You are reminded of who you are, the truth right. of who you are right. in Christ. And again, no matter what we might go on to do um, to kind of screw things up or not, that seal is still there. It it does not go away. Um, So one last question, just for those who may be listening to us going, oh, this all sounds great, but that's not where I am. That yes, we could be wondering, all right, the Holy Spirit is always with us. All right, you made your point, except this. I've been looking for the Holy Spirit. I've been praying for the Holy Spirit and I feel nothing. Like really, the Spirit is around us always. Where is it right now in my life? Because I'm listening, I'm looking and I got nothing here. And so for folks that um, find themselves in this place, I want to to, uh, share again an image that was so important to some of us that took this Psalm uh, Bible study this late spring and early summer. And it has been a helpful way to understand and think about our relationship with God. And so the psalmist oftentimes express different modes in which we may be relating to the Holy Spirit. One is where we are disoriented and we find ourselves um, separated from God. Then one is reorienting towards God where we got, we've got God in our sights and we're, we're starting to head back in that direction. And then a place of orientation in which we feel like uh, it's kind of like the bird that's under the, the wing of the, the mother um, uh, the chick that's in the wing of the mother hen, that we're, we're in sync with God and connected to God and deeply close relationship with God. So that if you find yourself in that space of disorientation, as lonely and dark and scary as that can feel, um, that no matter um, how long or when you find yourself in that space, 
you are still not ever alone. The Holy Spirit has not left you, has not left us. Now, it is not like the Holy Spirit is our guardian angel that keeps us from messing up or that fixes everything when life falls apart. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, but when things are a complete mess, we know we're still not alone there. Um, and uh, sometimes I think our hearts might feel hardened because our pain is too great and we have a hard time um, noticing the promises of the Holy Spirit being present with us um, at all times. So friends, the Holy Spirit longs to work a new creation within you, longs to. And when you most need it, I believe that if you look around, you will see, you will notice the Holy Spirit at work helping to transform you into God's intended new creation for, of you and for you. So our prayer is always, come Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us, melt us, mold us, fill us, and use us. Amen. Amen.